Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Come and Reason Sabbath School class. Welcome from Collegedale, Tennessee. If you're watching online, live, my name's Lori Atkins. I'm filling in for Dr. Tim Jennings today. Okay, let's bow our heads. We'll open class with prayer. Father, we continue to pray as we spread this message that we believe is the truth about your character, your methods, and we believe it's it's the key to hastening your coming, and that's what we want more than anything. Um, we ask for your presence here today in our class, and um, we ask for soft hearts and open minds, and we ask that we just continue to have revelations of who you are and how you work as we study this this book of the Bible, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So yeah, we're studying Lesson 7 in our quarterly, which is the Book of Revelation, and the title of this week's lesson is The Seven Trumpets. So I'm just wondering, again, this is a different pace and a different speed than Tim's classes. Those of you who've been here when I teach before, you know that you are a re- required element of today's class. We have lots of people here, so lots of participation. So I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on our study of this particular quarterly so far? I'm just wondering if anyone else has had, I don't know. My mind has been blown over the last couple of weeks, just studying about the seals, the time frames, that it covers the entire span of history, the entire span of the great controversy versus what are quarterly. And I mean, I, so, I mean, I've been preparing, preparing for this lesson for a little while now. So I've been studying as usual. But then after our lesson two weeks ago, when we really talked about the seals and we compared and contrasted the NIV, our standard scripture that we've known forever versus the remedy, and everything is just tweaked and adjusted and shifted. So I was motivated to dig in and study even more to look at what it means if the time periods of the seven seals, this book of history covers the entire history of the earth or the entire history of the great controversy versus the last 2000, 2000 years. And because shifting to that contradicts everything I've ever heard, everything I've ever been taught. I mean, I was born and raised on the concept of a good revelation seminar. I've been to more than one. And as I study and shift my thinking, I'm, I'm just seeing a whole bunch of slides and PowerPoints that are now going to need to be changed. Anyone else? Is it just me? Exactly. It explains things that have never made sense. And I'm not sure I could make them make sense. I think they're nonsensical. Anyway, it's not just it's not just our quarterly. I'm talking about every document I read, every presentation I looked at, every video I watched. Prominent Adventist teachers, seminary professors, theologians, evangelists, 100% all agree with the quarterly's view that the seven seals prophecy covers only the span of times from, from Christ's ascension to the second coming. But I believe we are learning and studying something so groundbreakingly different. I know Dr. Jennings reviewed the seals briefly last week, but I'm going to do it again because I think what it means and what it points to and what it says about God is really important. So remember we also talked last week about how Bible prophecy can often have more than one meaning, more than one application. And the lesson even acknowledged this by stating that the seven churches had historic, prophetic, and universal applications. So realizing this, that that prophecy can actually have dual or multiple meanings or multiple interpretations, it opens up the question, could the prophecy of the seven seals have more than one meaning? We also read this quote, from Ellen White as she described her perception of what is contained in the book of seven seals. And she said, it's the history of God's providences, the prophetic history of nations and the church. 
Herein was contained the, the divine utterances, his authority, his commandments, his laws, the whole symbolic counsel of the eternal, and the history of all ruling powers in the nations. Does that sound like the last 2,000 years, or does it sound like more? In symbolic language was contained in that role the influence of every nation, tongue, and people from the beginning of Earth's history to its close. I mean, that's pretty black and white, pretty clear. So it seems like there is much more being described here than the last 2,000 years of human history, and something much broader and more encompassing, and I think there's compelling evidence to support the explanation that the seven seals actually represent God's foreknowledge from the very opening of the great controversy in heaven through to its conclusion. So we're going to quickly recap each of the seals and talk about the time frame it represents. The first seal, we believe, represents Satan's rebellion in heaven, and it's marked by these key elements. Remember, he's riding on a white horse, so he's presenting himself and pretending that he's pure. He's claiming equality with Christ. He's holding a bow that shoots arrows. And what does he want to do with that bow and arrows? Yes, Teresa knows. He wants to conquer. He wants to dominate. He wants to compel. And what do we know about compelling power? It's found only under Satan's government. Again, he wears a crown. He was claiming equality with Christ. And later he claimed to be the, the rightful ruler of the earth. A second seal. This represents the fall of mankind in Eden, which I think is one of the most, the, one of the plainest explanation, because the, the Bible says the writer takes peace from the earth. When was peace taken from the earth? I mean, it's a single significant event that we know about in the Garden of Eden. Not at Pentecost, not after the ascension. Um, third seal. This represents the history of humanity, basically in the Old Testament, up until the birth of Christ. This was a period of spiritual starvation in which the truth about God was difficult to find. Why was it difficult to find? It was obscured by lies. The very people who were charged with teaching and spreading the message about who God is and the, the means of salvation were teaching or misrepresenting God and the way he worked. But remember it mentions the, I think the bread or the oil that would not want to run dry. So the Holy Spirit and the life of Christ could not be destroyed despite their best efforts, including killing him. Fourth seal, we're looking at Christianity through the Middle and the Dark Ages. And this is representing the power of the church to distort the truth about God by distorting teachings about God and then restricting the very access to the word of God and introducing pagan God constructs. Fifth seal, we believe that's uh, starting at 1844, the end of the 1200-day prophecy, 1844, and what we believe was the opening of the investigative judgment. And I will be talking more in the coming weeks about what the investigative judgment actually entails. But in essence, this is when individualities, characters, are being cleansed from sin and given white robes. Not to cover up wickedness, but to represent the fact that they have been truly made righteous. Sixth seal. This represents the shaking and the end-time rejection of God, often evidenced by the rise of atheism, belief in evolution, this is really close to where we're at right now. And this is where uh, we're going to talk about where the trumpets come in. Since this lesson is about the trumpets, we will start talking about the trumpets here in a minute. And then, of course, the seventh seal. Again, a little shift from what I've always believed and been taught. I thought the sixth seal took us all the way up to the coming of Christ. Dr. Jennings and the Remedy are suggesting that the sixth seal takes us up, again, through the shaking and the end-time rejection of God. And there's a little interlude. And the seventh seal actually includes the very end-time events and culminates with the second coming of Christ. doesn't start with the second coming of Christ. And we think, why is, that, why is that important? Is it? 
Remember, we also learned last week that it's okay to have different views, different interpretations of various elements of prophecy, various elements of revelation. It's highly subjective. It's almost entirely symbolic. So it's okay to have different interpretations as long as the following remain true. He gave us some points. As long as God is always portrayed as love. God's laws are design laws. As long as trust and faith in God are increased, and as long as fear and distrust in God are decreased, that has not frequently been my experience in the teaching of Revelation. The exact opposite of those two are true. Also, as long as you are growing to be more like Christ in character and methods, and as long as you become engaged as a worker to share the truth about God. That's why how we interpret these texts and what they say about God matters. So what happens if we see Christ as the writer carrying a bow who seeks to conquer? Correct. And what is it in sight? Fear. Fear. Rejection. Rebellion. We know what happens when, when fear is increased. Love is decreased. Does it make a difference who and when we see peace being taken from the earth? I think it does. Does it make a difference if we see Christ or Satan holding a yoke and binding us to something? Does it make a difference if we see Christ or Satan bringing death and Hades? It's a big difference. So I believe in this book specifically designed to be a revelation of God's love and truth. And it is, and it does, but it's every bit as important to reveal the lies and the deceptions and the deceiver. And I honestly don't believe that you can do one without the other. And we saw this at the cross. Christ's crucifixion not only revealed the entirety of who God is, his character and his methods, it also revealed Satan's character and his methods and revealed him as a liar and a murderer. Teresa had a comment. It makes a difference in how we can answer the question, how can you believe in a God that lets babies die? Yes. It's, I have a whole new answer. I never knew how to answer that before. Exactly. It's, a, it's awesome. And we're going to talk about one of the reasons I believe we're here. I believe this church was called for a specific message. We are called to have an answer, a different answer. Again, an answer that makes sense, an answer that heals, an answer that reveals truth. And I don't think we've answered correctly for, for quite a while. And we're, this, this organization, this ministry, is hoping to change that, not only in this, in this denomination, but across the world. We had other comments. Russell? Continuing on with her thought, the, it's important to remember the context within what this book was written. The, the opening scenes of this book are John taken in vision right. to heaven. Yeah. What he sees is, he sees conflict in heaven. Mm. He, sees, he sees a scene where there's trouble. There's, there's, there are questions that are yet, yet to be answered yeah. in heaven. Unrest. Unrest, and, and, it's, and it's damaging to, it's distressing to the inhabitants mm. of heaven. Yeah. There, there's weeping. Yeah, he wept because no one was found, no one was found capable to uh, open the, the scroll with the seals. And it's important to keep in mind that angels had some of those same questions. Why, why, why was Lucifer and his angels cast out? Why exactly. Are they, why are they no longer? Why are they gone? And if if Satan is like the evidence is alleging that he is, why hasn't God eradicated him? Yeah, make it stop. And, and then then crucifixion happens, and they, and they say, oh, oh my goodness, it, it like you said, his character has been revealed, and God's character has been revealed, and Christ's character has been revealed. Why is he now allowed to continue along tormenting humanity? Right. And the, the seven seals, they, 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 they provide more, yet more evidence than the seven trumpets. It, it's a cyclical escalating yeah. thing. And then we have seven poles where, yes. where it escalates even more. So it's important not to, not to forget that the, 
problems are not here only here on earth. There were questions and issues, big, big issues, yet to be they're being answered by this vision of a council in heaven. Yeah. Oh, I think it's incredibly important to remember almost none of this is about us. Not exclusive. Which is really hard for us to comprehend because it's all about us in our own minds. And other world, yes, we're a theater and a spectacle. And again, Mrs. White says the first, the initial battle was over God's methods and his law. And the final battle will be over the same thing. God was accused of being something that he's not. And this whole process has been his laying out of evidence to vindicate his character and to refute the accusations. And we are exhibit B or something. We're, we're part of that case that he's building, but it, we're, there's lots more than us. And we, I, like I said, we're myopic. We have trouble expanding our vision, which is what I think is such a blessing about the great controversy message that we have. Lots of people don't have this perspective and don't have, even think about things going on outside of our own little narrow world. So it really lets us kind of lift our head to big picture concepts. Um, and that's, I think, is what's being revealed in here. Was there, did somebody else have a hand up that I missed? No? Okay. Anyway, so we're saying we understand it's important how we view these, these interpretations, how we, how we see God. We also, I think it's important to see how Satan's deceitful and really destructful actions throughout history and again, we're not just talking human history. His destructive actions started way before us. We see how they've been countered repeatedly at every single turn, consistently with God's loving intervention, his intercession, and with healing truth. And I think if we look at the seals for only the last 2,000 years, we miss almost all of that, or a huge chunk of it. Okay, I promised we were going to talk about trumpets. So let's take a look at... This week's lesson on the seven trumpets. And there's a little bit of commentary in Saturday's lesson that gives us some early insight. That's a spoiler alert if you missed that. Into the traditional attitudes, the author's attitudes and viewpoints regarding what the seven trumpets represent. As well as likely their picture of God. How he operates. How his law operates. So there is some correlation between the vision of the seven trumpets and the scene of the fifth seal. We just reviewed the fifth seal. And this is the one where we saw under the altar in the sanctuary, the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. And that's from Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Again, what does this mean? Is this real language or symbolic language? Of course, it's symbolic. The sanctuary represents, it's a metaphor for God's plan to heal and restore. The altar in the sanctuary represents the hearts and minds that have the Holy Spirit burning within. That's the fire. And the incense signifies those folks' praises and prayers ascending. So not surprisingly, the quarterly seems to focus in on these souls under the altar, crying for God, crying to God for justice and vindication. And in fact, the lesson states... Quote, the voice from heaven urged them to wait because the day was coming when God would judge those who had harmed them. And then points to Revelation six fifteen through 17 as a picture of Jesus returning to this earth and bringing judgment upon those who did evil to his faithful followers. What does this mean? How do you hear it? How has it typically been taught? I mean, this is what a lot of people are waiting for. Maybe one of their favorite moments. 
So Saturday's last paragraph says, The vision of the seven trumpets shows us that throughout history, God has already intervened on behalf of his oppressed people and has judged those who have harmed them. Has God intervened throughout history? We just reviewed the high points of his interventions throughout history. And on whose behalf has he intervened? Only his oppressed people? Who's he intervening for? All of humanity. And the quarterly also says, the purpose of the seven trumpets is to assure God's people that heaven is not indifferent to their suffering. Yes, Eve. As I was reading some of this, it occurred to me that there has to be a misunderstanding of what they're praying for because it's not at all like what Christ prayed for. The, the exactly. The are so different that they're saying, you know, that this would seem to say, kill our enemies, where Jesus said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Love them. Yet these are people who clearly have received the white robe. They are changed in character to be like Christ. Therefore, their prayer must be like Christ. Oh, that's so well said. And it's, uh, to me, it's even more heinous to say that the people that are saved under the altar with hearts and minds like Christ are praying for the destruction of the people that hurt them. Because again, what is that saying about, what does that say about God? It says that's what he's like. And that he responds, he would not have intervened had the righteous not prayed for him to wreak havoc on the people that had wronged them. Are we talking about a direct intervention or an indirect intervention of God? And if so, what are some examples of direct or the indirect? Because I don't think there have been many examples where he has directly intervened. Right. So and I don't, I mean, I don't have an indication here, but to me, the, the common thread flowing through is that they are hoping for more direct intervention. Let's say for maybe the Hitlers or the, the ones that are really, have really wronged consider, what's considered his chosen people. But I don't know. So yes, you're, you're right. I mean, I think the the evidences of direct intervention, we do have some in, in scripture where he stepped down and either kept something from happening or made something from happening. But in my mind, as we've talked about his intervention, his intercession is constant. It's based on his natural laws of the universe and how life's designed to operate. And from the moment peace was taken from the earth and Adam and Eve fell in Eden, he has been interceding to keep at bay the destructive power of sin, or none of us would have had a chance to even work through this process. So to me, that's what I define now as his intervention and intercession. It wasn't always how I defined it, Donna. So that intervention can be holding back Correct. the power of evil until our hearts yes. are prepared. Which we just talked about, and we're going to talk about again. The four, the four winds of strife are being held back by his agencies until the seal of God. Exactly. Exactly. Teresa. Can some of that intervention also be praying for those who have the character of Satan that their hearts might be changed? Of course. You know, that That's what it says to me. Is we're told that. Yes. And we're told that repeatedly. Love those that, that hate you. Pray for them that persecute you. Be kind to people that are mean to you by, so you can heap coals of fire on their head again you have to define god's wrath god's vengeance god's judgment what is his vengeance his vengeance is turning his enemies into his friends that's that's not what's being discussed here wendell the request of those beneath the altar is for judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth that's a direct reference back to deuteronomy 32 32.43, and he will render defendants and judges us adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. So the end result 
of his vengeance. Right. Is the atonement of his people and the land. Yes. And so bringing everyone back, back into one into one That's awesome. That's exactly what it is. And again, we've talked about judgment. It depends on your law lens. It depends on your definition of judgment, which law is being used to define what's right and just in a given territory. God's law is love. His judgment, we use the word diagnosis. Do I believe God will come back and correctly diagnose every soul, every living being? I absolutely do. But I don't use it as a, as a legal judgment, a punishment judgment term anymore. Don. In a practical setting that, for example, a surgeon is not always going to directly intervene for every step that you take. He's not right. going to continuously do surgery on you exactly. every single day. Yes. It's up to you as an individual to take those guidelines that he suggests to have the best route of recovery. Yes. And it's up to us to follow those guidelines. I would say it's not only up to us, it's required of us. It's essential to us. When we talk about learning by practice to discern the right from the wrong, when we talk about come and reason together and that there's something about that reasoning out of how God works and what his methods are that is correlated to us being cleansed of sin and being healed. To me, that means we can't get there without doing that work ourselves, wrestling out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It would be harmful for the surgeon to operate on you at every turn. It would be harmful for, for God to work through all the answers. This is why, to me, we have a book this mysterious that we're supposed to dig into and chew and be challenged by and wonder why in the world am I up here teaching on Revelation for the second time. That's insane. But the process of me doing this, I guarantee you, has changed my character in a way that it would not have been. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a must that we participate in that process, and it's healing and helpful for us. And I don't know that we're going to get to any of the trumpets. Okay, so we're going to move. Um, <laughs> all right, so we think that that's not the purpose of the trumpets. Let's examine the trumpets a little more closely and see if we can come up with some alternate or other possible reasons why they might be included in John's revelation. So Sunday's lesson, again, we talk about the prayers of the saints, and we just touched on this a little bit in a way that I think is, is powerful. Um, again, this is after the sixth seal has been opened. There's a little interlude before the seventh seal is open, And this, again, is the sixth seal included a great earthquake, the sun turning black, the moon turning blood red, and the stars falling. Then the sky rolled back and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So our alternate understanding is that this language references the war, the battle between God and Satan. It represents where it's being fought and the weapons that are being used, which are, where's it being fought? Where's this battle taking place? In our hearts and minds. And what are the weapons being used? Ideas. Lies, arguments, pretension, and truth. and truth, exactly. So this language, and lots of people don't believe this. Lots of people believe that this is physical warfare, physical conflict. And maybe there will be earthquakes. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised based on what I have been taught about the time of trouble, if mountains are removed and things like that are happening. But many people think it's, it's culminating in this massive battle of Armageddon. Not sure that that's necessarily the case, but we think this language is symbolic. The warfare is moving into its final phase. What happens when a battle or warfare moves into its final phase? Do things get calmer or do they get more intense? Yeah, so this is escalating. Both sides are escalating. The truth, the spread of truth and the spread of the gospel is escalating. In response, darkness and evil are escalating. So this takes place between the shaking and the end-time rejection of God, again evidenced by the rise of atheism and evolutionism. Not seeing any of that. 
And then the final end time events culminating in the second coming of Christ. So it's this at this point in history, we see the story in Revelation 8, 3 through 4 correlates closely with the description of the daily services in the temple in Jerusalem. If you remember back to that in the evening sacrifice, the lamb was was brought placed on the altar of burnt offering. The blood was poured out at the base of the altar. Then an appointed priest took the golden censer. You know what a censer is? It's the little ball thing that holds incense. Just a little aside, I spent a good portion of my life married to a practicing Catholic. And so we typically that wasn't used in their daily services unless the bishop was in town or in the service. And I am highly sensitive and allergic. And so if I saw the bishop, I knew I was going to have to leave because they would literally come down the aisles and waft, yes, yeah, swing it and waft incense at us. Um, anyway, so the priest would take that golden censer inside the temple and he offered incense on the golden altar in the holy place. Obviously, referencing the prayers ascending. But then when the priest came out, he threw the censer down on the pavement and it produced a very loud noise, loud enough for the priests to know to blow their trumpets. That was their signal. And that marked the end of the temple services that day for the entire camp. So, if somebody, they might have their Bible. If somebody has Revelation 8, please read verses 3 through 6 out loud for us. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints in the golden altar, which is before the throne. And the spoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar, threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. So super strong parallels in that text between what's happening here in, in the seal uh the line of seals versus what happened in the daily services in Israelite temple. So this is triggering the trumpeters to be ready, right? The quarterly concludes again, just let me repeat, the seven trumpets are God's judgments on rebellious humanity in response to the prayers of his oppressed people. Just let that breathe. So, I'm going to read the same Revelation 8 passage from the Remedy. We can just compare and contrast. But a different angel, holding a golden censer and standing in front of the golden altar, was burning a large amount of incense mixed with the prayers of the saints. This symbolized the character of Christ, burning within the hearts of God's representatives on earth as they prayed for the revelation of God's character of love and the redemption of humankind. We talked a little bit about if these folks have white robes and have true characters like Christ, their prayers must be different. They have to be praying like Christ would pray. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. So it was filled with fire from the altar, which we just talked about was re representative of the Holy Spirit. In truth, he filled it with fire from the altar. What did it contain? The fires of truth and love. And he hurled it onto the earth. This symbolized the Holy Spirit empowering God's spokesperson to reveal the truth with stunning clarity. There was an incredible shaking of the minds of the people, accompanied by flashes of brilliance that battled rumblings of confusion and the thundering of opposition. Then the seven angels holding the seven trumpets prepared to sound them, which represents seven warning messages of truth, trumpeting the approaching end and exposing Satan's counterfeits to God's remedy. Is that different? Do you hear a difference? A breath of fresh air. It's a paradigm shift. It is, it's night and day different. 
Don't forget, this is also right around the time, we talked about this last couple of weeks, when the Holy Spirit is being withdrawn from the earth. Remember why? Not because he's fed up and done and time's up. Because his dwelling place is the hearts and minds of his people. And as the more people close off their hearts and minds to him, he has no place to dwell. He's not going to force. He's going to go. He's going to give them up to their choices. But these four angels, they've been holding back the winds of strife. For what? What are they waiting for? They're waiting. Remember the 144,000 and the sealed of God? What did these folks represent? What was their purpose? There's an interlude here waiting for this to happen. Yes. The angels continued to hold, and these seven trumpets did not sound until they were sealed. Because? How how many groups are there ultimately at the end of time? There's always and ever only two. How do we get there? How do we get to two when we have 34,000 different Christian denominations? My personal belief is I believe everyone alive at the end of time will be brought to the ultimate decision point where they choose fear or love, selfishness or giving. They choose, do I love myself so much? that I will do whatever is necessary, including kill you, that I might live? Or do they choose, say, do I love you so much that I will do whatever is necessary, including die, that you might live? This is the war. This is the battle that is being fought in these texts and in our own hearts and minds. And have you felt it? Have you been presented with that decision, maybe not death, maybe it's something way less than that. But you have to choose, do I give myself in love or do I do what I want? It's a constant battle. So how are, will every single living being on the earth be brought to this decision point? I believe it is these warning messages and events. These are going to be disasters and catastrophes that happen as the four winds are loosed we don't have any idea. I mean, you got to figure some of them have lost their grip based on what's going on right now, but they're still holding, and it's going to get way worse. When those are loosed, these catastrophes, these disasters, they're going to get people's attention. And we're talking about even the most agnostic, the most atheistic folks are going to ask, what in the world is going on? What's happening? And they've been waiting for that to happen because the sealed of God need to have an answer like we were talking about. They need to have a healing answer. They need to have an answer that makes sense and explains what is going on. And while there are hearts still open to hear, and we're going to see this in the first few trumpets, while the Holy Spirit's presence still is here in some element on this earth, a bunch choose love and are saved. During that time, because of the answer that we're going to be asked to give. But we also see when we look at the later trumpets that eventually, just as the sealed of God are so settled into the truth that they cannot be moved, we're going to see that there are those that are so sealed into the lies that they also can't be moved. And there's no degree of disaster or catastrophe or warning that's going to get through to them. So, when you hear warning messages of truth trumpeting the approaching end, do you hear that the same as God's judgments on rebellious humanity? Does that change your perspective? All right. Monday's lesson. The meaning of the trumpets. We're going to get through as many as we can. So, we'll breeze through the actual meaning of trumpets in biblical language and symbolic language. Most of the New Testament references to trumpets are right here in Revelation 8, 9, 10. But in the Old Testament, the Greek word for trumpets or trumpeting 
occurs 144 times in the Old Testament. And 105 out of those 144, which is 73% of those references, concern signaling and warfare, worship and prayer, or a combination of these. That's what trumpets and trumpeting is used for. So in ancient Israel, the trumpets were always to be handled only by the priests, even in warfare. So it gave a spiritual parallel. Signaling trumpets represented a prayer to God for intervention in battle. The blowing of the trumpets on feast days and in the temple that we just, we just reviewed invited God's spiritual intervention into the lives of his people. So essentially, trumpets in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, represent covenant-based prayer or calling on God to remember his people. Let's see. Oh, well, again, the quarterly says the seven trumpets are a response to the prayers of the suffering saints of God. It assures them that God has noticed their suffering, and even though he may seem silent in their experience, he is already acting in history against those who have persecuted them. This may be a dead horse that we've beat enough, but thoughts on that are, we've already discussed. So I watched a presentation, this is just a little more support of how pervasive this view is. I watched a presentation on the fifth and sixth trumpets that was given by Dr. John Pauline and Dr. Graham Bradford. These are leading theologians, religion professors. They had this to say about the fifth and sixth trumpet. They said, to those who are abused and oppressed, the trumpet message is this. God hears your prayers. It may not seem like he's acting now, but he is acting even when you cannot see it. He is making note of what you have suffered, and the day is coming when he will address that and bring justice. Just as those trumpets offer comfort to those who pray, those who have been abused, they also should be a warning to those who oppress and to those who do the abusing. The day is coming. It may not be right away, but in time, in history, God does act. Those who act abusively, oppressively toward others, the day of judgment does come for them. So if we are acting in ways that are harmful to other people and no consequences seem to come to us, that's just the way it is right now. When God has marked those, there is a judgment at the end when God does respond to those prayers of the saints. So the trumpets, in a real sense, are a call to repentance, especially to those who are hardened and to those who feel like, I can get away with anything. The trumpets have some powerful things to say to them. Any thoughts about that? Yes, Wendell. It might sound, sound harsh to some, but I think it sounds very much like the law. When you read God's law, depending upon your perspective, it may sound very harsh. Right. Until you know where it comes from. Is it is it the foundation of how you're made, or is it... You know, the blueprint of how, you know. Exactly. Or is it something enforced? And so if you look at those same statements, they, they are very positive in the sense that God is yearning after the, the lost. Exactly. God is for healing the entire universe. Yeah. I mean, it's true. We, we read the, the quote, the law demands righteousness, a righteous life. That sounds harsh to us. Because we don't have it to give. Just like the law of respiration demands breathing. That one doesn't sound as harsh. Because we know in order to live, we have to breathe. But yeah, this is so diagnostic of these folks' vision of how God's law works and how it operates. Did you have a comment? I heard the word justice in there. And so the word justice would be making God's universe right. Right. Setting it right. Mm -hmm. Take it with the law. Exactly. But look at the specific things they, they say. Can we act in ways that are harmful to other people and no consequences come to us? Why? Because it's natural law. It's design law. And do people who abuse and oppress get away with it if God does not mark those deeds and then intervene to impose judgment and punishment? 
like I said, it's so clear that there's just a, a major lack of understanding how God's law function. They think it functions exactly like the laws that we enact. And you can never get, I don't think, to the right conclusion if that's your view of God's law. Because it doesn't, it doesn't function that way. Okay. We're going to skip a little bit here. Here we are. Let's quickly review the contents of the seven trumpets. We're going to contrast and read them side by side with the NIV with the remedy like we've done in the last couple of weeks. See how tweaking or shifting a word or a meaning even slightly will completely change the perspective. And it also changes how I understand and receive that message. So we're starting in Revelation 8, 7 through 9 with the first trumpet from the NIV. It says, the first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up and all the grass, green grass was burned up. Now the quarterly suggests that this use of Old Testament what I call judgment-y language of hail and fire and blood represents God's judgment on the Jerusalem that had rejected Christ. Now remember, the, the quarterly, we're talking about the seven trumpets. I actually do think probably start with the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension of Christ in through the end of time. But we talked about there's different interpretations. These are all future events, so... We're not going to get locked down onto whether this is the absolute accurate time frame, but it makes sense. Okay, so we think that this is judgment on the Jerusalem, the Jews that crucified Christ, rejected Christ. From the remedy, let's see if it, it sounds any different if we read it from the remedy. It says, the first angel sounded his trumpet and a hailstorm of fiery truth revealing the remedy achieved by Christ's shed blood was poured out upon the earth. One-third of the earth was consumed in fiery turmoil, and the hearts of one-third of earth's leaders and people burned within them as the truth shone forth. Does that shift for you what's being rained down and what the reaction is? Does a hailstorm of fiery truth and the remedy achieved by Christ's shed blood and believers' hearts burning as they shine forth truth, change your picture of God and what he's like and what he's doing for the people of earth. It does for me. Second angel, second trumpet from the NIV. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now the lesson suggests that this second trumpet recalls God's general judgments on all who oppose him, in particular the fall of ancient Babylon. And so this trumpet is associated with the fall of the Roman Empire, uh, as Peter, in First Peter, uh, designated Rome as modern-day Babylon. Now reading from the remedy, the second angel sounded his trumpet and a huge mountain of truth revealing God's kingdom ablaze with love was made known to the sea of earth's inhabitants. One third of the people accepted the remedy and partook of the life of Christ symbolized by the blood and they died to self and gave up their selfish trade. Is that different than fish dying and ships going down? Third trumpet from the NIV. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The lesson proposes that the biblical imagery and symbolism suggest a perversion of truth and a rise of apostasy. Therefore, they associate this trumpet with the condition of the church in the Middle Ages, which to me sounds quite reasonable. The third angel, this is from the remedy, the third angel sounded his trumpet to make it known that an angel, like a brilliant star blazing through the sky, had fallen from heaven, and one-third of the people had their minds filled with the lies about God. 
This attack was called bitterness, and many people died from drinking in his bitter lies. And isn't this what we saw happening during the Middle and Dark Ages, when the when the truth about God was snuffed out by the Church? From the NIV, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. The quarterly suggests that the sources of light being darkened represents the symbols of truth being partially eclipsed, and that parallels the deepening of apostasy in the church. Remember, in, in Bible symbology, the the sun, moon, and stars, celestial bodies, are off, they're often used to represent that. And as they're going dark, a third are going dark. And isn't this interesting that all of these actions on earth are affecting only a third of the people? I find that intriguing. Correct. Oh, there's for sure ties back to that. But again, I think it also is representing the fact that, if you want to call it, probation is not closed. The Holy Spirit has not been completely withdrawn from the earth. Um, not everyone is being impacted. There's still openings for the seal of God with the truth and the message to impact people when they're most receptive. Okay, fourth trumpet from the remedy. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet with the warning that one-third of people would believe the lie of evolution and no longer recognize the light from the sun, moon, and stars as evidence of God's creatorship. The minds of one-third of the people would be darkened and their hearts hardened by this lie, both day and night, as they no longer searched for God. And aren't we seeing this? There is a guaranteed consequence for believing the lie that God's laws don't function like design laws, that God's laws function as imposed laws. And that the natural reaction to that is to reject it. And a lot of people have. And they, they believe in evolution because it makes more sense than the alternative. And their minds are continually darkened and their hearts hardened. That's a natural consequence. Fifth trumpet from the NIV. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Eek! Now, Russell, you've been stung by a scorpion, right? And how how would you uh, characterize what that sounded like? Yeah. <laughs> For five months in the number of locusts. So the lesson suggests that the transition from partial darkness to total darkness represents the triumph of a religious apostasy and secularism in the modern age. With God and truth totally eclipsed, sinful humankind is left to the demonic torment of destructive desires. That sounds right to me. If all truth has been snuffed out and there's nothing left but darkness and what we can come up with on our own. From the remedy, the fifth angel trumpeted his warning... And I saw a fallen angel symbolized by a star falling from the sky to the earth. The fallen angel had the key to accessing the abyss, symbolizing spiritualism and mysticism being the key to accessing the pit of demonic influences. He opened the abyss and smoke rose from it like that from a huge furnace, symbolizing the immense rise in popularity and acceptance of spiritualism and mysticism. And aren't we seeing this? 
Again, when truth is snuffed out or we've rejected God, there is a movement to look within. We have our own truth. You know what I mean? God is, we can find, we can access our own divinity. Be our own God. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke, symbolizing the minds of people having become dark and no longer looking to God for enlightenment. Out of the smoke came locusts that had the power of scorpions. As locusts consumed the fruit of the land, so too the sting of sin consumes the fruit of the spirit. The locusts were unable to harm the people whose minds were so settled into the truth about God that they could not be moved, symbolized by the healthy grass, plants, and trees that they couldn't touch. But they could harm those whose minds were not sealed into the truth about God. They were not able to inflict direct physical harm, but caused tortured thinking and mental anguish for five months. Remember where the battle is being fought. And the agony suffered was from the sting of living outside God's design for life, the scorpion sting of sin. Dying to self and being renewed in righteousness is preferable to living in the anguish of sin. Therefore, many will seek to die to self and be renewed, but they will not find it because they seek their own mystical method of renewal. I'm not sure unless it's... Biblical time, day is a year. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe just to let them know that it's not permanent. <laughs> yes, Teresa. Potentially, exactly. Yeah, it's hard to know. It's again, w- w- this whole thing is happening in an interlude between the sixth and seventh seal. So, and we're also warned. After, I think, the 2300 days, we're warned against setting any additional prophetic time. So, okay, we're a little bit over. We're on the sixth trumpet. Do we want to finish? Let's get through seven. Okay, so the NIV says, The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops were twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflicted injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see here or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Why not? That's correct. They cannot be moved, despite God's best efforts. They were drunk drunk on the wine of Babylon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From the remedy, the sixth angel trumpeted his warning, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar before God, which is Christ speaking while he works to cleanse the minds of his people. The voice said to the sixth angel who held the warning trumpet, it is time to release the four angels bound to the great river Euphrates, who have stood as a barrier protecting the people. Then the four angels who had been waiting for that hour, day, month, and year were released, and they let go of what they had held back. And one-third of the people on earth died. The number of the enemy forces was more than two times 10,000 times 10,000. The number was beyond counting, symbolizing the number composed of peoples from the entire world. The horses and riders were a conglomerate of diverse forces uniting together to oppose God. They were assembled in three main divisions. Those who believed the lies about God and promoted them through churches had breastplates of fiery red. Those who had practiced mysticism and spiritualism had breastplates of metallic blue. And those who merely pursued political power and coerced with the power of the state had breastplates of sulfur yellow. Isn't that interesting? They were all bent on 
destroying truth, love, and freedom, as symbolized by their horses with heads like the heads of lions. They destroyed with fiery lies, smoky mysticism, and coercive pressure. One-third of humanity had their characters destroyed by the combined effect of the fiery lies, smoky mysticism, and coercive pressure. The power of these enemy forces came from the lies and falsehoods they promoted, symbolized by the smoke coming from their mouths and by their tails being like the heads of snakes, which were able to inflict injury. The rest of humanity, whose consciences were not completely seared by these assaults, still refused to turn away from their own self-promotion. They continued to trust demons and the idols of their own heart's desire that are not even alive. They did not turn away from destroying others or from mystical and magical practices or from sexual immorality or theft. All right. Seventh trumpet from the NIV. Well, actually, we're going to skip the NIV. We'll go straight to the remedy, because I guarantee you it's better. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and loud voices proclaimed in heaven, The kingdom of selfishness based on earth has been eradicated, and the earth has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on thrones before God humbled themselves in awe and admiration and said, We are thankful to you, Lord God Almighty, who lives today and who has always existed, because you have unveiled your great power and begun to reign in truth and love. The nations of the selfish world lived in anger, and you have let them reap what they have chosen. The time has come for accurately diagnosing those who sleep in the grave. For rewarding your spokespersons, the prophets, and your saints, and all those who revere your character of love, both great and small, and for the destruction of those who destroy the earth, then God's healing plan, represented by the sanctuary, was disclosed, and at its heart was Jesus the Lamb, who unites the universe into one, represented by the ark, and there came flashes of insight, rumblings of understanding, peals of thunderous adoration, a foundational collapse of earth-based thinking, and a great hailstorm of truth. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask how long, Lord, and we ask how we can hasten this seventh trumpet blowing. It's what we all want. Please continue to, to bless this ministry. We want to spread the truth about you, and so we pray that you would continue to open doors and close doors as you see fit to to maximize its spread. We want to hasten your coming, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.